I'm sure many of you know that Pastor Corey is on sabbatical. Sometimes I feel like I'm just holding out the fort till the Calvary comes. But um, let's see, if you have your bulletins, uh, I'd like you to pull them out and get your connection card. Let's see what we have here. The color is a, what is that, orange? Orange and white card here. And if this is your first time, we'd appreciate you giving us some information. We can reach out to you and welcome you. Also on the back, there are different ways you can communicate to us. And uh, so just take your time on doing that. And just after you're done, you can just leave that on your pew. As you're doing that, I'll just remind you of some things. Uh, we have a natural food and fellowship time directly after service. All are invited to come into the social hall and just grab a bite of lunch with us. Uh, tonight, there's uh, to this afternoon at 2 p.m., there's a gathering. College and young adults are meeting today. For more information, contact Stephen. Uh, West Covina Bible Study tonight at the home of Derek and Suzanne Yee. That's at 6.30 this evening. And that's real close to the church. If you're fairly new to the church and would like to try a Bible study that's close to here, we meet once a month. And uh, just let me know, and I can give you directions to the Yee's house, which we'll be meeting at tonight. Okay, there are other things. Oh, a big thing. This Saturday, is it this Saturday, April 16th? Yes. This Saturday, April 16th, is the Ladies' Tea. Ladies' tea, look at that. 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 1, 1, p.m. In the social hall of the church, it's an annual ladies' tea. And that is just a fun, neat thing. Come, uh, bring your friend, bring your mom, your grandmother. Um, don't bring your grandfather. He won't be welcome. So, so uh, ladies, just have a great time. That's, that's a really a, a fun time. Put on a couple of pounds, enjoy one another. Also, look at that ladies' spring retreat. We have senior health issues seminar, uh, youth parents meeting, uh, Saturday, May 7th. These are things that are coming up. And some of you may have noticed this is a new thing, and, and some of you caught it last week. We have now online giving. So that's just something that, uh, that we just started. You know, so just something that, that speaks to you. Okay, if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> we're going to continue uh, in our series that we're doing, and we're going to look at Esther today. So if you have your Bible, you're welcome to open up to Esther. <clears throat> People say, oh my gosh, Esther, where in the world is that? Just keep looking. <laughs> Esther, I'm going to read, it's going to be on the screen. I'll just read one verse, just to kind of... Get us into the understanding of the story. You know, when I go through certain books, I know that some books are not as familiar as others. And so I'm going to, we're going to read a lot of text today in the service for you to understand the story of Esther. And uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good time for us to not only learn from the Lord what he has for us in, in our daily living, but also to understand his word and, and, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, examples he puts in there for us. So Esther, chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 16. And this is Esther speaking. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Let's pray. Father, as we open up this Old Testament book, Father, we pray that you'll speak to us in this 21st century in our lives. Help, help your word 
to, to just open itself up, reveal itself to us to understand uh, the relevance of your truth to our lives today. So thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, last week I made a phone call, and it was a difficult phone call for me to make. Uh, last week I made a phone call, and I called a friend of mine, and I used to work with her many years ago. And we worked for a few years together, and uh, it was during a very foundational time in my life and also a foundational time in her life. And uh, when she picked up the phone, I could barely hear her voice. She was at home in bed, uh, and she's basically in her final days of cancer. Uh, I don't even know if she's going to make it through this week. Um, but she's ready to see the Lord. She's ready to go home. She's, um, she says, uh, yeah, she has a peace about it. But you know, as I thought about her life and her in, the impact of her life and my life, uh, have you ever thought of, of a, have you ever made a timeline uh, of your life? Uh, just draw a horizontal line on a piece of paper, and you mark chronologically the things that have happened in your life, things that were pivotal in your life, things that, that caused your life to make changes or be molded and shaped or, 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 or to just had impactful meaning to you, like people you've met, places you've been, uh, significant encounters that you've had, uh, maybe significant struggles that you had to go through, decisions you had to make. So we're talking about people and events that basically God used in your life to help mold you and shape you to be the person you are today. That's sometimes a, a, a good thing to do. The Jews, you know, when we look at the Jews and how they raise their children, their children are always taught to look back. They look back to how God worked in their life because it gave them faith and trust to go forward in their life where they're at today. And I think it's important for us to once in a while glimpse back and understand that God is at work molding and shaping us and preparing us for what's next. He's preparing us for what next, what's next. You know, you guys, you ever guys ever play chess? You know the game of chess. You move your, you move your, 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 your um, what do you call those pieces into a position, not particularly to do something significant in that move, but move it to a place for a future action. To be in that perfect place for the next move, or the move after that, or the move after that. See, if you're a believer... We look at this as all God's work. But if you're not a believer, if you don't believe the God of the Bible, then what I'm talking about, you can chalk up to karma. You can talk, chalk it up to coincidence. You can chalk it up to things like fate. But as a child of God, we call it God's plan. We call it God's leading in our life. Paul admonishes the, the, the New Testament churches, and he repeatedly said to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means to live according to God's plan for you, to be sensitive to God's leading in your life. It's a challenge for us to believe that in Christ there are no coincidence, coincidences. In Christ, there is no real randomness in our life. We're not like that feather floating around in Forrest Gump, just going, being tossed with the wind to and fro. There's purpose. There's purpose. 
So this morning, we're going to continue our series that we're t- that's titled From Zero to Hero. All right? We're going to continue that today. And we're going to look at the life of Esther. And it's an example of how God can put us in the right place at the right time for his glory. So, we're going to look at some verses here. And you know, I'm kind of, you know, when I started thinking about chess, uh, we're, we're, gonna, I'm, we're gonna move through this like almost like a chess game. We're gonna first look at God moves out his pawn here. Okay? So let's look at God's strategy, how it develops. So let's go back to Esther, and I'm gonna read Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's, like, it's quite a bit, you know. We're, talk, we're gonna be reading a lot of text today because I want you to um, understand the, the book of Esther a little bit. So Esther, chapter 2, 1 through 4. Later, when the anger of the king Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Fashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let beautiful treatments be be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king to be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. See, Xerxes, he had a queen. Her name was Vashti. And foolishly, she ignored the request of the king. Now, what was that request? Well, the king just adored this queen. She must have been just terrific. I mean, he, she, he just thought the world of her. And so he had this banquet, and he asked Vashti, come on out, Vashti, I want to kind of show you off to all, all the guys here, all right? She was kind of like the, the, the trophy wife of that day, I guess. So she said, Vashti, please come out. I want to... I want to show you off and introduce you to to all the royalty here. Well, she felt a little bit, eh, I don't know if I want to do that today. So she didn't go. And that was pure foolishness. Because although the king Xerxes really adored her, this guy was still king. And no one says no to the king. And so that really just bent him to no end. And he decided, she's gone. I'm going to get me a new queen. It was just a big mistake. But realize this is part of God's plan. Part of God's plan. So so she's going to be replaced. Now, let me read for you this text. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. The events of the book of Esther took place during the decade between 483 and 473 B.C. We're talking about a good 500 years prior to the birth of Christ. It was during this time, it was after the 70-year exile of the Israelites. Remember Israel, they were 
they were taken by the Babylonians to Babylon and scattered throughout parts of the world at that time. Over 70 years, they were exiled from their home. And so after 70 years, God opened the door for the Jews to return to Palestine, especially to Jerusalem. We can read about that in the book of Ezra. Ezra, the priest, was he led the people, the, the, the Israelites back, and they, what they do? They rebuilt the temple. Okay? But there were some Jews who didn't go back. There were some Jews who remained to stay exiled and in other countries. And Mordecai and Esther were among those who chose not to return. So here they reside in a foreign land, hesitant to reveal to the people of Susa that they were Jews. They told no one they were Jews. Okay? Until, and this is where the drama comes, until a day came when Haman, the assistant to the king, was honored, and everyone bowed as Haman walked the street, except for one person. Who was that? Mordecai. He wouldn't bow. And when they cornered him, when, when the officials went to him, and they, they were going to, to take him and say, why in the world are you not bowing before Haman? He says, I am a Jew, and I bow only before the God of Israel. The thing that throws a lot of wrench in this, that's really, that's part of God's plan, is that prior to this time, Mordecai discovered a conspiracy against the king. And he revealed it to the king, and it saved the king's life. So the king was indebted to this man, Mordecai. But the king didn't know Mordecai was a Jew. Okay? Didn't really matter to the king, really. But here he reveals, Mordecai reveals to Haman and his men, I am a Jew. So Haman is furious. And so what's he thinking? How dare this man not bow down to me? I am the right-hand man to the king. And so he was just burning and plotting his mind. How can I get rid of this guy? Because Mordecai was part of the king's palace and uh, staff. So, Mor so Haman was plotting, how can I have this man killed? And so he talks to the king, and he convinces the king to have all the Jews eliminated, executed in the kingdom. He convinced the king that the Jews were a threat to his empire. Okay, let's move on. God moves out his queen. You know what that means if you play chess, right? When you move your queen out. Okay, let's look at chapter 2. Let's read a couple of verses here, 17 and 18. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. This guy just knew how to party. He just let her rip. He was so excited to have this new queen, and he was just letting loose. I guess what else is this guy going to do anyway? So he just has a great just celebration because he has this new queen. 
So when we look at this, women came through from all the empire. When we back up and think about how did Esther become queen, she won this title probably against hundreds of other women from the empire, from the kingdom. And the king saw something in her that was more than the other women, something beyond outer beauty, something that had to do with that inner beauty in her. And we know that that's what Christianity is all about, right? When we talk about the working of God, it is always working of God in you. God doesn't care how you do your hair. He doesn't care what fashion you're wearing. But he does care about your character. He does care about what, what your values are. He does care about how you perceive the world and how love is, is interpreted in your life. So God cares about that inner person. And, and Esther displayed things in their inner person that just attracted Mordecai. I'm not Mordecai, but the king. And she was queen, placed as queen. So God moved Esther into the exact place he wanted her to be on the throne as queen. You know, I'm going to share this story with you because I, once in a while, I'll throw in stuff about my time in Brazil. For, for those who have been here a while, my wife and I served for uh, 14 years in Brazil in the northern part in the Amazon area of Brazil as missionaries. And um, during those years, half of my time, I was vice president of this mission. And that this mission had about 130, 140 missionaries from, from about six different countries. And um, I had responsibilities over a lot of these, these missionaries at that time. And when I think back about that position I had, it's really crazy. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have been chosen to be in that position. I mean, it's, let me share with you this story. This is what happened. Um, you know, I was nominated to be vice president of, of, this, of this mission. I don't even know who, who nominated me, but I was nominated me, and the president said, you should accept the nomination even though you're not going to win. I said, okay, that's fine. Because, and the reason why is I was running against a guy named Charlie Stoner. Charlie Stoner was the nicest guy in the field. Everyone loved Charlie. His, his real name was Charles T. Stoner, Ph.D., Dr. Charles Stoner. And uh, oh, uh, just a Texas good good old Texas boy, uh, missionary, and everyone loved him. He was the neatest guy. I loved him. He and I talked about everything under the sun, football, Mexican food, everything, you know. And uh, he's a, just a neat guy. And no one could imagine anyone being vice president except Charlie. Well, what happened before that is that um, uh, my wife and I arrived to the field. We went through language school, and it's customary to go out and plant a church. They want new language school students to go out and go into the Brazilian community and plant a church. And we were stationed way far away on this island, actually. And uh, we uh, started working in this church. They only give you one year because after one year, uh, then you're done with what we call your internship or your stage, and we would then be placed somewhere else. Okay, my wife and I started this, this had about just about, you know, five adults and a handful of kids, and we tried to put a church together. Well, what happened is God just took over that work, and I've never been involved in this ever before that or since then, but a real revival took place, and we saw people just coming in like crazy into this church, and we were baptizing practically every Sunday, and, and the church grew to like 100 people, and this is less than a year's time. And 
and the submission says, we got, we're going to move you guys. And I said, what? Wait a minute. No, I know that. No, we're supposed to be here, but no, you can't do that. So the president flies out to us and meets with me privately. The president was this old school German missionary, and he just ruled the mission with the iron fist. Whatever, he was like a dictator. And so we're sitting down, and we're having this pretty heated discussion, and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and we're just in each other's face. And right at the peak of this, of this disagreement, in comes this woman who's a Swiss missionary. And she's in our mission, and she sits down at the table, and she's just with her arms crossed just listening to our, our argument, going back and forth and back and forth. Eventually, I said, okay, his name was Carl. I said, Carl, I, I submit to you. I'm, in, I'm under your authority. Uh, God's placed me here under your authority, so I admit to you. So uh, send me where you want to be, but I don't think this is the best thing for the church at this time. He said, fine, you're out of here. And so he rips my wife and I out of this church, and we go somewhere else. But then what happened? Then after that, I'm nominated for the position of vice president. And what I didn't know is that Swiss missionary, she told all the Swiss missionaries on our field, hey, this young guy, this guy who just came to the field, stood up to Carl. <laughs> and so when there was a vote, when we finally had the vote for vice president, these 40 missionaries who from Switzerland, who did, half of them didn't even know who I was, voted for me. <laughs> and I won. It was kind of like David beating Goliath. It was like the, the Lakers beating the Warriors. It was, it was just crazy. But, but see, when you think about that, here God had this woman quietly come in and be at the right place at the right time, which then influenced my life for my wife and I to be in a position to experience the things God wanted us to experience to, to cause us to be the people we are today. And I just share this with you because that is the story we're reading about in the Bible and we're going to see it over and over and over again and it's happening in your life too. That God moves us in places, introduces us to people, puts us in situations, not for today, but for tomorrow. So let's go on here. Esther was in the right place at the right time. Why? For Haman had turned the king against the Jews. Look at, at chapter 4. Let's read just verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and plead with him for her people. See, Mordecai sent a servant in to talk to Esther. He said, tell Esther, now, here's a copy of the edict. Tell Esther that if she doesn't do something, we're all going to be wiped out. Tell Esther she has to go before the king. Think about Esther. This woman, in reality, was what? She was an orphaned, exiled immigrant. She was a nobody. 
She was the member of an outcast minority people group in that kingdom. She was afraid to even tell people her ethnicity. Yet, she was queen. So Mordecai sends word to her to go before the king to save her people. Perfect. She's in the right place at the right time. From zero to hero. Story ended. Great ending. No, it doesn't end like that. Not yet. Look at verse 4. Verses 10 and 11. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai. So in other words, she gets the edict, she reads it, she hears the the servant, and then she says, tell this to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend his gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So basically, Esther is saying, in other words, uh-uh, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is my life on the line. I can't, I can't risk doing something like that. But time was running out. And this is how Mordecai responded. Look at verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. In other words, he thinks God's going to save them somehow, some way. But you and your father's family, in other words, you and I and the rest of our relatives, we will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. God's timing. I think if some of, for some of you, you can think back and you think of you being in the exact place at the exact time and you look back in your 2020 hindsight and you say, oh my gosh, just think if I hadn't been there. Just think if I hadn't met that person. Just think if I hadn't made that decision, how your life would be different. So Mordecai challenges her. He says these words. But you know there's an old saying, you know what that old saying is for us old people? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? So in spite of how powerful God may be, and God is all-powerful, he is sovereign, God will never force us to do his will. He'll never force us to do his will. He may put us in the exact place His timing may be perfect to the second to to maybe say those words to that person or or, or to show that love to that person or to to serve in the church or to make that decision or to raise your hand in that that meeting, that that community meeting, whatever it might be. He may put you there for that purpose, but if you don't choose with your will to go forward, it doesn't take place. It's all for naught. See, the timing was perfect. Esther was in the right place at the right time, and she needed to make the decision what to do. Let's look at our last thing. Checkmate. Look at chapter 4, 15 and 16. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, neither day or night. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. 17 says, And Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Wow. In Psalm 55, 17, we read the words of the psalmist. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. So what happens? Three days later, after the fasting of three days, going before the Lord and just crying out to the Lord, Esther went to that inner court of the king. And that was the place the king sat and just always chilled right there. And when he turned and saw her, look at verse 2 of chapter 5, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased. He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of his scepter. He didn't even think about the law. He saw her and his mind just went whoop. It was just, oh man, she's looking good today. And, and, and he puts out his scepter. I mean, he didn't even think about the law. That's how God just kind of worked in this man's mind and just set up this situation. So what happened? She goes and she just reveals to him all about Haman's plot. And then when the king hears it's against Mordecai, 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 where did I hear that name? That's the guy who saved my life years ago. How can he do that against Mordecai? Well, king, he's a Jew, and he wants to annihilate all the Jews. As a matter of fact, king, I'm a Jew too. Ah, he can't do that. The king didn't care of their Jews. So what happened? Instead of Mordecai being executed, the king had Haman executed. Mordecai, Esther, and all the Jews in the kingdom were saved. See, Esther is like many of us. She wasn't really a hero. We're not real heroes either, are we? But we're each usable for God's glory in God's hand. When we look at what Jeremiah wrote, 727, Jeremiah said, obey my voice. God's speaking through the prophet. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. A big part of obeying God's voice takes trust and faith because sometimes you're in a situation where you don't want to do what you know God wants you to do. It may be picking up that phone or writing that email or going to that person's house. It may be apologizing. It may be confronting. It may be doing something like that. It may be taking back something you did. I don't care what it is, but sometimes we just don't want to do what we know we should do. But God says, obey my voice and what? I will be your God. John 10.27, the Apostle John wrote these words. Uh, they're recorded from Jesus. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In the life of Esther, when Esther 
did enter into victory, when was that? When did Esther really enter into victory in her situation? It had nothing to do with what the king decided in the end. Esther entered into victory the moment she stepped into that inner courtyard because it took faith to do that. Once she stepped in that inner courtyard, she had victory. She had obeyed. She had walked forward. She had taken that risk for God. All the rest is God's work. All the rest is God's work. She didn't know what the king was going to do, but she just stepped forward in faith, and God worked out his will. God did everything else. That was between God and his king. Esther fulfilled her role. And that's how it is a lot of times for us. We just have to be obedient. We don't have to worry about the end result. Matter of fact, Chuck mentioned that as, as chairperson. He, talk, he talks about that. A lot of times God asks us to do things, but he doesn't, we don't know what's going to happen at the end. But just so we're obedient in our little section of obedience. So when we think about this, this story of Esther, we learn three things about heroes in general of the Bible. Number one, they are like us. Flawed, imperfect people. Amen? Amen. We're flawed, imperfect people. Okay, second thing. They were not, they were in the right place at the right time because God loved them. You know, sometimes you think, what am I doing in this situation? You know, there's so many times I've been in situations, I say, man, what am I doing here? Gosh, I wish I weren't here. But then I find out later on that it is part of God's plan, and there's a reason I'm there, and it's very clear later on. Number three, they believe God went before them, so they took that step forward. And that's what it always boils down to, doesn't it? It always boils down back to faith. Because faith is the thing that pleases God. God's word tells us without it, we can't please God. And it's not only the faith in believing that he's real, but it's the faith to believe that he's working every day. And to have that faith to take that step and do what you need to do. Yeah. So, let's think about it. Do you guys have something you should be doing? Is there something God has placed before you right now that you think you need to do? It may have to do with a relationship. It may have to do with a decision you have to make. It may have to do with some kind of action that you've been hesitant on doing. But is there something that you can honestly say, I think this is from the Lord? Now, I'm not saying everything is. Naturally, there are a lot of things that happen in our life that aren't from God. Naturally, there are things in our life that aren't good. Why aren't they good? Because we made some really stupid decisions, right? And the Bible says very clearly, you're going to reap what you sow. You make a stupid decision, you're going to have some stupid consequences, right? But there are things in our life where we can look back and say, boy, this is God. This is God set this one up. I see his fingerprints all over this one. You know, it's God who set this up. I just got to decide whether I trust him enough to go forward with it. If you're there, man, I pray this spoke to you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, we, this story was, this, this took place way back, 500 years before Jesus was even born. And yet the truth that it communicates to us today in the 21st century is right on. It's still fresh. It still makes sense. And that's because it's your truth. 
So, Father, help us, Lord. Help us to move forward in faith. Help us to learn from you and to take steps forward when we know it's you that's leading us forward, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.